We've been in this King series, and uh, this morning I'm going to be looking at a king. Uh, his name is Jehoash, and in some of your Bibles, they may call him Joash, which is confusing because last weekend, uh, JT looked at King Joash of Judah, but we're looking at King Jehoash of Israel, whose dad is Jehoahaz. I mean, could it be more, what is up? Somebody was, uh, I think, having fun with names, but either way, we're going to be looking at King uh, Jehoash, and he's the, uh, actually, I think he's the only king of Israel uh, that we'll be looking at, and all through this series on the kings, really when you read in 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, you see there's a, there's a consistent question that's addressed when, when, uh, when we look at the life of each king, and really that question is this, did this king do evil in the eyes of God, or did this king do uh, right in the eyes of God. And, and the determining factor to answer that question, whether they were a good or bad king, it wasn't based on how they handled the nation's treasury. It wasn't you know, based on uh, uh, their expertise in city planning or agriculture. It wasn't even based on their military expertise or their military uh, victories. It was based on the attitude or posture of their hearts to God. Right? The question was, in their heart, were they inclined to want his way or were they inclined to want their own way? And based on how that question was answered and really how they answered through the decisions uh, that they made as kings would determine whether they were a good king or, or a bad king. And you know, when, when you look through the Bible, uh, it's very clear that what God is going after in me and in you is our hearts. And I don't mean this you know, organ in my chest that's pumping, hopefully <laughs> pumping blood. Right now, it doesn't feel like it's getting to all my extremities. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the core of who we are as human beings. I'm talking about this deep place, like, like who we really are, what we really believe, this deep place in each one of us. What, what do we really want? Right? What do we really long for and love? This deep place uh, in each one of us that really drives the decisions that we make in life. And, and God knows that it's important to get to our hearts because it's from this place, this decision, this, this decisive place that, that determines the course of our lives. Listen to this quote from uh, C.S. Lewis, the man. It says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Now, that's a heavy quote, and that's a great book if you haven't read it, by the way. Uh, but really what that's saying is God knows that in every human heart, there's a battle raging. And the battle that's raging is over whose will will be done. And it's uh, uh, God who made us, God who knows us, knows how important it is that you and I really pay attention to our hearts and that you and I make choices that are gonna protect these hearts. Uh, Proverbs 4, verse 20 says this. My son, my daughter, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, Guard your heart for everything you do. Think about that. Everything you and I do flows from it, flows from this place. Above all else, it says in your notes, guard your heart. And if you look at the Bible, so much of the Bible, all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, so much of the Bible is, is helping us, teaching us ways to protect our hearts because God knows these hearts are broken, right? That these hearts are deceptive and wicked, it says, and so there's, there's so much in the Bible that, that is trying to teach us how to prevent the flaws of our hearts doing major damage to, to our lives. And it's, and it's like this. I just got a new car, uh, new to me, and uh, it's a Volkswagen. And uh, I thought there would be like a, yeah. I know there's, <laughs> okay. But, uh, and a buddy recommended, there's a, there's a place down in Westerville where there's this shop where they are, you know, VW specialists. And, he's, and I've had the car about a month. He said, take it in for free. They'll, you know, run a diagnostic on it. So I go in there and, you know, it's just amazing nowadays. They, the guy comes out with his laptop and plugs it into the car and all this German folk music starts playing. <laughs> No, but it, uh, and that was a good thing. But it, uh, but then we pop the hood, and and, and the guy uh, 
we're standing in front of the car and we're looking at the motor and he goes, he goes, hey, let me tell you what's gonna go wrong with this car. And I'm like, what? You know, my heart starts pounding. I could feel my wallet, you know, floating out of my pocket and, and he proceeded to give me, uh, thankfully, a really short list of, of the potential flaws in this car. But then he said, but here's what you can do to prevent those things from happening. And really today, as we look at, uh, at, at King Jehoash, we're gonna look at some of the things that uh, you and I can do or, or not do to protect uh, these hearts, these deep places in us. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll jump into uh, to the story. So Lord, thank you for uh, just another day to gather. Lord, it's just a gorgeous morning. There's so much life, so much green as we drive, you know, on the way to work. I just, I just love the seasons, Lord. I pray that, uh, that this, it would be the same season in here. There'd be lots of new life just sprouting in our lives, in our hearts, in these deep places inside of us. Lord, you know us, and you know what you're doing in everyone's, uh, everyone's heart here. You know the areas you're leaning into, and, and I just say, Keep going, Lord. Keep, uh, just continue the work you're doing in each one of us today. I pray that you'd use what I say, that everyone would have something to take away today. We just give you this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. If you've got a Bible, uh, turn to 2 Kings. We have Bibles at the front. Seriously, if you don't have one, feel free to grab it or in the back. Um, but 2 Kings chapter 13. <coughs> Excuse me. And we're gonna be starting in verse 10. Here we go. <clears throat> it says this. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, became king of Israel and Samaria, and he reigned 16 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He continued in them. As for the other events of the reign of Jehoash, all he did and his achievements, including his war against Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Jehoash rested with his ancestors, and Jeroboam, his son, succeeded him on the throne. Jehoash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Okay, we'll stop there. So number one in your notes is uh, the power of daily decisions. Okay, the power of daily decisions. And one of the flaws of our hearts is that we aren't aware of the power of our daily decisions. We can sort of go into this, uh, I don't know if you'd call it like an emotional cruise control for days, for weeks, for years, right? So one of the flaws is, is not being aware of the power of our daily decisions. And I'm not gonna spend a long time on this because last weekend JT did a great, uh, great job if you were here. He talked all about influence and that we all have influence on other people. And if you missed it, it's what's missing in your life. You can pick the, the CD up as you leave out in the info counter. But I, but I want to focus in on this, just again, with this flaw of not being aware of the power of our daily decisions. When we look at this king, Jehoash, he would have grown up in the home of his father, Jeho, Jehoahaz, and he would have watched his father. He would have watched his father's daily decisions. And what I think is interesting, what jumped out at me is that, uh, you know, this young king didn't just walk in his father's footsteps. He didn't just copy the example of his father, but, it, but he went beyond his father, right? And unfortunately, it was beyond further into evil, right, into walking away from God. Because it says, it says of both of them, if, if you're familiar with the, the story just preceding it about his father, that they both did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and we'll get to that guy in a second. But it's said of Jehoash that he not only didn't turn away, but he continued in them. And in some of your Bibles, it might say he walked in them. And really what it's saying is this guy really grabbed onto them. This guy, you know, grabbed onto these, these evil ways with, with passion, and, you know, with, with a sense of conviction. And he even went so far to name his son Jeroboam. And why that says something about this guy is Jeroboam, the name Jeroboam, uh, the guy I've been talking about, son of Nebat, his name, Jeroboam, is synonymous with evil, 
When you go through the Old Testament, when you look at the kings, whenever this guy's name is mentioned, it's, it's not a good thing. Right? And this guy, Jeroboam, was, uh, and, and we're not going to go there, but back in 1 Kings 11, God chose this man to be the, the first king, really, of the northern kingdom, Israel. Because if you're familiar with the story, after Solomon, uh, the nation uh, of Israel split, right? Two tribes in the, in the south, Judah and Benjamin, and then in the north, and then in the north, you had 10 tribes. I'm just trying to see. I can say, okay. But then in the north, you had the 10 tribes. And God comes to this guy, Jeroboam, and said, hey, I'm picking you to be the king of this new tribe. And he made him a promise. If you will obey me, right, if you'll set the posture of your heart on, on you know, doing my will, doing what I say, you're going to have a glorious reign. You're going to have a dynasty like David, which was like the pinnacle. But what we see in the life of Jeroboam was that as soon as he you know, was, was, uh, uh, took, took the you know, leadership of the, of the northern nation is that instantly, whether it's political reasons or just fear or whatever was going on, he, he had this thought, he had this, this worry like, oh no, wait a minute, what's going to happen when all the people in the north go down to Jerusalem to the temple, which for the Jews, that's where they, you know, they would go for Passover each year. That was a big gathering point where they worshiped their God and went to the temple, sacrifices, all that. He's like, what's going to happen if they all go down there? Their loyalty to Judah is going to get stirred up. And this, it's going to blow everything up. So he comes up with this idea that he is going to make two golden calves, two idols. Right? Think Moses, Aaron, the Exodus. Um, and, he, and he places these two golden calves in strategic cities. And he basically says to the people, you don't have to go there anymore. Here are your gods, Israel. And why his name is synonymous with Evil is because this guy literally led the 10 tribes of Israel into gross idolatry. You don't need to go there. You can worship these idols instead. And so for, for uh, uh, what's his name? Jehoash. For Jehoash to name his boy Jeroboam, it would be like something in our, someone in our day naming their boy Adolf. Right? Like when you think evil, Adolf. It would be, and, it's just, and it says something about the condition of, heart, of his heart. It says something about how, you know, his father went this far, but this guy went even further. Right? He was impacted. He was impacted. His life was impacted by his father's decisions. And, and here's where I'm going with this, is that it, there's a biblical principle that our daily decisions not only impact us, but those coming after us. Exodus 20, this is from uh, when, when God was downloading the Ten Commandments. He said this. <clears throat> he said, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generation of those who love me and keep my commands. And basically what that's saying is, you know, so for those who, for those who make the choice, and I know I'm, I'm simplifying it, but, but for those who make the choice in their life, my will be done, God's saying, I'm going to punish to the third and fourth generation. But for those who say, you know, and set the course of their heart on, no, Lord, your will be done, He's saying, I'm going to bless for a thousand generations. Now, I don't totally understand what that means, but I know that I really like those odds. I mean, I mean, what does that say about God? Right? What does it say about how generous and how gracious and how he's just this father that just wants to unload his love and blessings uh, uh, on each one of us and think about that. Think about what, I, what, what I'm talking about. You know, if you're a parent, if you're a brother, a sister, an uncle, an aunt, a grandparent, a boss, a teacher, if you're, a, if you're really, based on what JT was saying last weekend, if you're alive, that means you're a person of influence. Think about the fact that the posture of your heart, you're setting out each day to please God. You're setting out each day to go, each day and going, okay, God, your will be done at work, in the office, on the commute, <laughs> your, your will be done at home, your will be done in my thoughts, your will be done in my words, in my actions. You know, if the, if the uh, posture of your heart, if you, or if you set out each day, like it says, to do your best to love him 
and to keep his commands, that not only impacts you today, but based on what this says, it has the potential to impact the next thousand generations. I mean, I don't, that's beyond my understanding. But it makes me go, I better pay more attention to the decisions that I'm making, the, the things that seem just trivial, suddenly don't become trivial. Right? And I've found in my own life, as I've thought about this, I find uh, it's stirred in me a desire of, okay, God, well, then get at those things in me, those habitual sins, those generational sins that have been in the Hanson clan. You know, well, your mother had a temper and her, you know, and now you, or, you know, I mean, whatever it is, there's something in me that I find myself praying a prayer of, oh, Lord, let it stop with me. Let it stop with me. I don't want my, you know, my children and their children and on and on. I don't want them to be dragging this around. So let it stop with me. And, and you know, unlike Jehoash, your obedience to God in the little things, and I think especially in the little things, because if you lean into the little things, it's going to impact the big things. But just think your obedience to God can impact your family tree. Like, how many people today, uh, as far as you know, you're the first in your family to say yes to Jesus? Anyone? Okay, now that's a chunk of people. And seriously, after the service, uh, we want to pray for you. Because, like, I think when you get to heaven, you're going to go, wow, <laughs> look at that. Look at that little decision you know, that I made. Look at, look at how the, the course of my family, which was going away from God, suddenly and started going after him. So unlike Jehoash, we have an opportunity uh, to make decisions. And, and, and again, we see in the life of Jehoash that he was influenced by the decisions of his father and, and, it, and it literally pointed his heart in a direction away from God. So let's go on to number two. Another potential flaw of the heart is this. It's the direction of our dependence. <clears throat> the direction of our dependence. And we're just going to read one verse uh, carrying the story on. This is kind of a funny way they do the story now. Uh, in verse 14, it sort of, it's like it, it uh, jumps back a little bit. But verse 14 says this. <clears throat> it says, Now Elisha, the prophet Elisha, had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Well, we'll stop there. Now, that may seem like a strange thing to say. And if you're familiar with the story of Elisha, this, this crazy prophet Elisha, and his mentor, the prophet Elijah, those are the same words that Elisha said to Elijah just before he was going uh, to depart from earth. But either way, the thing that jumped out at me as I read this was, why... You know, it says there that uh, Jehoash wept over Elisha. And here's why I'm asking the question, why did he do that? Why was Jehoash, this guy, this king who was so steeped in idolatry, right? This guy that who was moving in a direction away from God, like his life was kind of snubbing his nose at God. Why would he be weeping over God's prophet? And I don't think it was because of sadness for Elisha, I think it was sadness for himself. I think it was sadness for himself and for his kingdom. I think his weeping was basically, oh no, Elisha, when you die, what are we going to do without you? Because Elisha was like the man. Elisha was like, he literally, he was the father of the nation in the sense that the Elisha was here and the kings were here. I mean, the kings did what Elisha told them to do. Right, if you're familiar with the stories, and I'd encourage you to read uh, earlier on in 2 Kings, this guy moved in incredible uh, power and authority. Uh, Elisha, um, you know, was more valuable to Israel than its armies. And if, again, they're, and it's dwindling armies. So here's Jehoash, Jehoash. He's crying, I think, because he's losing his weapon. He's losing his secret weapon, and it's amazing to me uh, that Jehoash, who would have been, you know, taught all the stories, all the stories of old, the stories of the Exodus, because this was part of the Jewish culture. You would have been taught about Yahweh. You would have been taught about this, you know, this awesome, faithful God who, uh, you know, over and over just showed his power 
and his faithfulness and his goodness and his wisdom and on and on and on. It's amazing to me that with all of that, what we see is Jehoash is putting his dependence not on that God, but he's putting his dependence on Elisha. Oh no, what are we gonna do without you? And one of the flaws of our hearts is that we are prone to put our dependence on people rather than on God. And I think some of the reasons why we do that, why we're prone to, you know, to grab onto people instead of God is because we can see people. We, we, we you know, serve and follow an invisible God. And I don't know about you, but I've, I find that challenging sometimes. And when I go to you, I get a response, you know, right away. When I go to God, sometimes it's like, your caller number 6,478,222, right? Your estimated wait time is 38 years. You know, it's like, oh, I don't have 38 years. I got I to gotta call another number here, right? And I think we're prone that way. And, and, and the truth is, we can be, you know, we can grab onto people because people are pretty impressive. There's a lot of really gifted, wise people. And, and, and imagine when you got a guy like Elisha, that's like, you know, one of the X-Men living with you. He would have been like a superhero. If you look at the stories, I don't think that's, you know, too much of an exaggeration. But here's the thing. God totally uses people. He totally uses and wants to work through you and I. In fact, I hope he's using me right now. That's my prayer. I hope that God is working through me and, he's, and it's impacting you, right? Uh, you know, I'm confident when, at the end of the service when we pray for one another, that God is going to use people as, as, the, you know, as we pray for each other. And, but, but, the, but where we get tripped up is that people, like our role as human beings is we, our primary role on, her, on earth is to be a signpost. And what I mean is our role as people is that we're a signpost pointing to the destination. That's our role. We're pointing people to the destination, which is Jesus. See, the purpose of a signpost is what? It's to, it's to whet your appetite. The purpose of a signpost is, is to stir a desire for someplace, right? But the signpost is not meant to satisfy, right? The signpost can never take the place of the destination. Does that make sense? We're here to, to point people to Jesus. And, and, and the danger is that when we... When we uh, when we put our dependence on anything or anyone but Jesus, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment because it's only a signpost. It's not the destination, right? So that's one of the dangers. The other dangers is when, we, when, we're, when we're putting our dependence on people rather than God, we're missing out on the incredible relationship and, and, and you know, gift that God offers to us in his, son, in his son, Jesus. Listen to this, Jeremiah 31. Talk about a... Uh, a signpost. Here's the prophet Jeremiah way back in the Old Testament and he's prophesying ahead. He's, he's pointing ahead to the destination to Jesus and he says this. He says, this is the covenant I will make with the people uh, of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I'll write it on their hearts. I'll do something in us as humans that we could never do for ourselves. I will be their God and they will be my people. Relationship restored. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Right, and that's, that's Jeremiah pointing ahead saying, you know what, this, this old covenant, the old way we're doing things, the law, you know, think, uh, uh, you know, the, the temple and sacrifices and all that, it just isn't working, right? And so God's sort of in heaven with Jesus looking at us and, and he's going, they just can't hold up their end of the bargain, right? They just keep breaking the law. They don't know, they don't know any better. And he looks at Jesus and goes, son, you gotta go down there and you're gonna have to take care of this. And think of what we just celebrated at Easter. You know, I was, I actually woke up early this morning and after I checked the hockey scores, uh, I, uh, uh, <laughs> priorities, no, that's, oh boy. <laughs> there goes the message. But I, uh, but I was thinking about Easter and I was thinking again about that curtain. Remember the curtain being torn when Jesus died? And I thought, you know, that's something we need to meditate on every day because that is God, you know, that is God yelling to all of humanity, 
everything's changing now. Right? It's like this prophecy of Jeremiah, from the least to the greatest. Everything is changing. This is for anybody who will take it. Now nothing uh, need any longer come between God and his people. Right? No more. And tearing that curtain, he's saying, there's no more levels of access. It's not, well, you can come close, but you, out you go. No more. There's no middleman required. Now, everyone who will take it, everyone who wants it, can come face to face and have a friendship with God. Right? Uh, John 15, 15 says this. Jesus talking to his disciples. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. And just think of the difference between a master and a servant. There's this huge gap. Right? A master just sort of does whatever he does and, and, and really the role of the servant is you just do as you're told. Right? There's no intimacy. There's no friendship. You're just, you're, a, you're, a, you're, a, you know, you're something that he owns. And Jesus is going, you guys, it is not like that anymore, which would have blown their minds. And then, he's, and then to blow their minds even more, he says, instead, I have called you friends. What? I'm sure they're like, you know, tilt. <laughs> we don't get that, Jesus. I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. And you know, so much of the Christian life, really, of this whole thing of, of follow, being a follower of Jesus, it's really spending the rest of your time on earth uh, uh, discovering what it looks like in everyday life, what it, what it feels like, what it, what it means to be a friend with God. Right? We're li literally, the picture I get is what we're invited into is every day you get to walk with Jesus. And he goes, let me tell you what it's like to be a child of the king. Let me tell you, right? Everything he's received from the Father, he's making it known to us. Let me tell you what it's like to have full access to him all the time, constant contact, right? You're never out of his zone or I'm trying to think cell talk, right? Constant, constant, even better than Verizon, if you can imagine that. And here's the thing. God is wanting to wean some of us off of our dependence on people, and teach us how to depend on him. Teach us how to grab onto that gift he offers to everyone a friendship with him. And, and yes, we still need this. But, but think about it. The worship team, this message, when we pray for one another, the classes we do, everything we do as a church primarily is, is functioning as a signpost. Right now, I'm not, I'm not saying, so buy my book. Right? I'm saying, you need to lean into Jesus. I'm just, I'm just up here, you know, pointing to him. That's the point of this message. And some of us have grabbed onto the signpost and God wants to, to sort of take our hands off so that we can, we can grab on to the destination. And what we see in the life of Jehoash is he was, he was clueless to that. He was, he was blind to what was right in front of him. That leads us to uh, number three in your notes is the danger <clears throat> of a wandering heart. The danger of a wandering heart. And so I'm going to continue the story. So, you know, uh, um, Jehoash is weeping over Elisha. Elisha is soon going to die. And, and then uh, there's this kind of strange but cool story. Verse 15 says this. <clears throat> Elisha said to Jehoash, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel, when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. And if you're familiar with the story or if you have some time later to read on, you find that that's the truth. He, def he, had, you know, he defeated that, uh, that uh, other army three times. And here's the thing, this is a... This is kind of a strange story. And in reading different commentaries, I'm like, 
man, I, what do I, you know, what do we pull out of this? And, and, and here's, here's what I think is so helpful in, in, in seeing what's in this story. It's if, if uh, we miss the point if we don't see the spiritual symbolism that this story is just oozing with, right? We, one of the flaws of our hearts, this is the third one we'll look at, is that we, we are prone to wander and our wandering muddies the water of our minds and our hearts and makes us dull and blind to the activity of God. And I know that's a lot, but basically I'm saying one of the flaws of our hearts is that if, if, we're, if, uh, if, our, if, if our focus is more on other things than him, it's gonna cause us to be dull and insensitive to the things of God. And here's what I mean when I look at this story. And I know I'm out on a bit of a branch and I hear a little bit of cracking, but I'll keep talking. I, but it, in verse 16, when Elisha, okay, remember, this is Elisha, superhero, prophet of God, right? The guy who has this long history of telling kings, here's what you need to do, the Lord says this, and, he, and, and, and doing these crazy miracles, etc. When Elisha laid his hands on the hands of the king, right? The laying on of hands by a prophet was like Jehoash should have, something should have stirred in him. Something should have come to attention. Like, whoa, there's something big going down here. Because when a prophet laid hands, it meant a prophet had a message from God. It meant a prophet was, was literally, by laying hands on that king, was, he had something that he wanted to give to the king. Right? And, 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 and there should have been an awareness in Jehoash that something big, something of God is going on, something way beyond just the natural. There's something very spiritual, spiritual and powerful going on. Then he tells him to shoot an arrow out the east window. And again, it's symbolic, right? Because he's talking about the armies to the east and he, poof, he shoots the arrow. And then, you know, the prophet of God makes this declaration. He says, you know, that's the arrow of the Lord's victory, right? And, and you'd, think, you'd think that Jehoash would be like, whoa, this is, you know, the, you'd think that he would be cluing in that something really big is going down. And then, and then the, the prophet says to him, he says, strike the ground. And, and, I, and this is where I, I know I'm getting out on a limb. But it's interesting to me, all through this story, all the way through, Elisha says, do this, and he would do it. Do that, and he would do it. Do this, do it. Do this, do it. Do it, right? So you can see that all the way through the story. And it's interesting to me that when he says, now strike the ground, he didn't say strike the ground and stop. He said strike the ground. And so what does he do? He strikes it three times, and he stops. And I think... That's where we see that there's a dullness in the heart of Jehoash to the things of God, to the, to the presence and opportunity of God that was right in front of him. And here's, here's what I mean. If you're, again, read back some of the stories of Elisha. Over and over when God would use this prophet, Elisha, in people's lives, I'm pretty sure in most of the stories he would say to the person or persons, he'd say, um, now you need to go do this. He would invite the person into this this the activity of God, right? To participate with what God is doing. And, and it just tells me that we have a part to play. We don't just all sit at home and, and God does it. We have a part to play in, what, in the activity of God. And it, you know, so if you're familiar with the story in uh, 2 Kings 4, Elisha comes upon this home uh, and there's this widow who it's in a time of famine and, she, ha and she's, she has no food and she has no money. And remember Elisha goes, well, what do you have? And she goes, I've got a little jar of oil. Right? You remember this story? And then, and this is where I think, you know, it's a similar story where Elisha then turns to this woman and he goes, you need to go out and go to all your neighbors and you need to collect as many jars as you can. And again, I, maybe I'm reading too much in this story, but I think that woman went, if the prophet of God is telling me to do that, it makes no sense. Why would I do that? Why would I do that? But if the prophet of God says to do that, that must mean there's something going on here. And I think this woman clued in like, there's something bigger going on here. There's something of God going on. And if you're familiar with the story, she runs out and she gets all these jars and brings them all back. And there's a miracle happens. From that little jar of oil, she fills all these jars. Now imagine, imagine if that woman just half-heartedly went out, okay, I'll get some jars, and just went next door, hey, hey Tony, or what, you know, or... 
Joe Jehovah, you know, another J name. Hey, do you have some jars? Yeah, I got a couple mason jars. Yeah, that'll do. I mean, I think not only would she have missed out on, on what God wanted to do, I think Elisha would have looked at her and said, woman, you blew it. Just like he did to Jehoash. I think that's why he got frustrated with him. Right? That's, I think, why he got angry. You, you blew it, Jehoash. You missed it. When he told him to strike the ground, he didn't say to stop. And, and again, it just shows to me that, that there was a cluelessness in the heart of Jehoash to, to the activity of God. And, and really, you know, it's, it's this compilation of his wandering heart, his idolatry, his misguided dis- dependent caused him to be dull and insensitive to the things of God. Like, do you, do you not see it, Jehoash? This is the prophet of God. Do you not see it? <laughs> nope, right? Now listen to this. Maybe Jehoash is waiting in heaven. I'm gonna drive this guy. Smarty pants, Mr. Smarty pants. Psalm 115, and this is talking about idols. Uh, verse four says this, but their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. Now, now look at this, how it looks at all these sense, senses. They have mouths, but they can't speak. Eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses, but cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. Feet, but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them. Right? Those who uh, make them, these idols, will be like them. They're going to become senseless, just like them. And so will all who trust in them. And do you get that? The, the picture, what they're saying is like, uh, uh, whatever we give ourselves to, right? I mean, that's what, it's, it's going to have impact on us. And we're going to become like them. And here's the thing. I know in, in our day, whenever you start talking about idols, I mean, I don't think anyone in this room is going to go home this afternoon and you have a golden calf in your home and you're going to bow down. If you do, we should probably have coffee because uh, uh, that's a story I would love to hear. And, but our idols are not so obvious, right? But really an idol is what we, again, we're talking about this deep place. What do we give ourselves to? And what I'm getting at in this third point is that if we're giving ourselves to anything other than God, right? If, 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 if we're giving ourselves to this thing this much and we're giving ourselves to God this much, well, then the fruit of that is we're gonna be insensitive to him, right? And here's, here's one, one that I wanna lean, in, lean into this morning is, would be the thoughts, our thought life, what we dwell on in our thoughts, where we go in our thoughts, what consumes our minds, our daydreams. Like, where do you, where's your sort of go-to place, right? Where's the slant in your life where you end up in your thoughts? Listen uh, to this quote from Martin Luther, German theologian. There's a German theme today. It says, you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from nesting in your hair. Now, that's a great Quote, well done, Martin. Whatever we let rule our minds is what we're going to be sensitive to. Right, so I just got a VW. Well, you know, isn't it crazy? Everywhere I go, I see VWs. And I'm waving. They don't wave back. But I mean, everywhere I go, I see. And why is that? Why is that? It's because I'm thinking about VWs all the time. I am going on YouTube and watching videos on the car that I got and I'm learning all these things, right? It's consuming my mind and so I'm seeing it everywhere. Now, here's the thing. That's an example of my thought life that I can use in church. But think about where our minds go. Think about where we dwell. I I mean, Jehoash wouldn't have missed the activity of God that was right in front of him if his thoughts were filled with the wonder of God, right? If he would just always be thinking about the Exodus, and man, that must have been amazing when God, you know, just stomped on Pharaoh and just flexed his muscle, and that would have been, I mean, if if those things would have filled his thoughts, he wouldn't have missed what God was doing. And I know part of the human condition is that there's birds flying constantly. I mean, I'm sure this room, if I could see it, it'd just be, it would be like Hitchcock. You know what I mean? Birds everywhere, right? Because that's just part of our, our distracted culture, and I think it's part of the battle. I think it's one of the tricks of the enemy. It's just constant throwing things our way. But 
If the only nest you and I welcome to nest in our hair, to carry that quote, if the only nest we welcome is the Spirit of God, right, and that means, you know, so we're doing our best to shush the other, or right, swat the other birds away. If the only nest you and I welcome here is the, is the Spirit of God, then we're going to be sensitive to the activity of God. We're not only going to be sensitive, we're going to be, we're going to be looking for it. Right? We're going to be expecting the activity of God as we go about our, our everyday, mundane, boring, old lives. We're going to expect God if that's what's consuming us. And see, our thoughts tell our hearts what to value. Right? Whatever's w- winning here, whatever consumes here, tells here this is what's important. This is what you need. This is what you need to be looking for. This is what you need to long for. This is what you need to give your energies uh, for. And some of us have let so many birds nest in our hair that we can't get rid of them. They've taken over. And the noise of their squawking drowns out everything else. And it especially drowns out the things of God. So you come to church today. And I'm sure for some of us right now, it's like, there's just all this noise Right, or you sit down at home, you go, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start, you know, I wanna, I wanna get to know Jesus more. And so you sit down in the morning to have a quiet time, you get your coffee or whatever, and you sit down and you pull out your Bible and it's walk, 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 just goes on and on and on. Or you try to quiet yourself and pray and it's like it's impossible. And what many of us need is a, you know, a heavenly exterminator. Or as someone said last night, literally someone said, we need to start shooting birds. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We, you know, don't take that analogy too far. We might need to sign a waiver. But here's, uh, here's what we're going to do. Don't, don't put it up yet, please, Doug. But um, we're going to end off today by, uh, uh, why, don't we all, why don't we all stand up? We're going to end off today and we're going to read two verses out of, one, out of a psalm. And, it's, and really, it's a prayer. And, and I just want to encourage you, uh, and really, this is between you and God. This could just be an exercise. You know, we're going to go to Bob Evans soon or whatever your plans are. But I, I, I want to give you an opportunity between you and God to, say, to, pray, uh, to pray this as a prayer. And I'd also encourage you, I think, Uh, Just like in worship, like what Pam was saying, it's so true. What we do with our physical bodies has impact on this place in here. And I'd encourage you as we we read this prayer to open your hands because it's it's, it's a sign of I'm open to you, God, and I'm expecting to receive from you. And, And I'll just say one last thing before we read this is that remember, when we do this, we're his friends. And even as I've been speaking, I can just see he's just been coming close, just sliding in and coming close. And again saying, let me, let me tell you what it's like to be a child of the king. Let me let you in on just how awesome uh, uh, this is. So throw that up, please, Doug. Thank you. And, and let's read this together. And then after we read it, we're, we're just going to have quiet. And I just want you to listen. Listen and be, and be aware of your senses of where is God, what is he saying, where, what's he doing in you? So let's read this together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now let's just be quiet for a bit. Lord, I pray right now that you would silence the birds. And we welcome you, our friend, to come and and search our hearts. Come and know us. Come put an arm around our shoulders and just lean in close and personal today. Tune our senses into you. 
So here's how we'll end off. I love that we save time to pray for one another because I believe all over the room, God was coming close and leaning into our lives. And if so, you know, as we did that little exercise and just had some quiet, if you had a sense of the Lord, you know, sort of tugging or moving, we, we want to pray for you. So in a second, I'm going to invite you to come forward. And then I also, those people who raised your hand, that you're the, you know, the first to say yes to Jesus, we want to bless you. And we want to bless your family tree. There's also another group, um, and this may be one person this weekend, I, but um, uh, for some of us, you were named after someone in your family line or uh, you, you've, you've constantly been told like, yo, you're just like old aunt, whatever. Or you're, you're just like, and whenever you hear that, it makes you cringe inside because it's not a good thing. And I, as, as I was praying this week and this came to mind, I just saw God taking labels off of people and saying, let me tell you who you are. And so if that's you, we want to pray for you. And then the final group was, uh, yeah, just grab the mic. Yeah, go for it. No, I'm. <laughs> the final group is is people who I know this is I know this is allergy season who have chronic uh, headaches, whether it's sinus headaches or whatever it is. We just we want to pray for you. We want to pray that God will bring comfort uh, to you. And then Linda's got a word. And do you want to? Have, you got it? Okay. <laughs> there you go. Oh, there you go. go awesome. Um, well, I just got a sense from the Lord that there are some here that heard the message and hear what Michael is saying and the verse in particular of John 15 15 that said I've call you friends um, and when Michael talked about the veil being torn having that mindset every day that it's relationship and there are some here who are like I just don't feel close to the Lord like I love him and I come to church but I just don't feel close to him and the Lord wants you to know that it's not in your doing that you're going to be drawn closer to him but in your being with him for example, I have three sons. I love to spend time with them, especially the older they get. If I were to make them dinner and I would call them to the table to eat and fellowship with me, to be in relationship with me, and they got up and started mopping the floor and cleaning out the fridge and started working, I would be like, wait, 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 but I made this food. I, I, I want to fellowship with you. I, I want to tell me about, I want to just know how you're doing. Same thing if we're out in the backyard doing work. And they would start mowing the yard and pulling weeds and weed eating. Yeah, that's great, but I don't want you to do anything for me, honey. I want to be with you. Yeah. You're older. You live your own life. I just want to be with you. This is what the Father wants. Yeah. He just wants you to be with him. Yeah. This is how you're going to break that barrier yeah. of um, being his friend, having that mindset of, of that the veil has been torn. So I think there's a releasing mm -hmm. that he wants to do of you're doing more for yeah. him to be drawn closer to him, but you feel further from him. Yeah. So he's saying, I want you to come back and be yeah. with me. I just want you to be my child. So if you feel that is for you, I'd love yeah. to pray for you. If you just want to be held by him, and again, be reminded that you're his child and his friend, and that's what he wants first, um, yeah. I would love to pray for yeah. you. That's awesome. So any of those things, what I said or what Linda just said, which is awesome, come on up. Pam's going to lead us in a song, and let's make sure everyone that comes forward has someone praying for them. And, and if you aren't, aren't coming forward, join in and, and sing. So come on up now, and then I'll come back and the service. Take my life. Take my life, I lay it down at the cross where I am found. Sure, everyone has someone praying. We need some ladies and some men. Take my hands and make them clean. Keep my heart in purity that I may walk in all you have for me.
thank you for your presence and we thank you for just all the ways that you're coming close right now. And I pray this week that as we, you know, jump back into just our routines, etc., that you, uh, just like what Linda shared, that you would remind us constantly of your desire to be friends with us, of your desire to be with us, that we would be uh, people who are who uh, are comfortable and relaxed with you, and just and really uh, aware that 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 we're your friends, Lord. I pray for those who um, do feel distant that this week. Uh, that you would come close, that you would help us, that you would take us by the hand and pull us towards you. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just continue the work you're doing in each one of us. I ask for lots of opportunities this week to bless other people, to pray for other people, to love on other people, to be signposts to you, Jesus. Just use us, Lord. pray that we would be bright signposts just give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen.